You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Twelve Rites of Passage by Paula Graves, also known as Anne Haynes. Chapter 7, Redemption. Dana Scully's Apartment, February 16th, 1998, 5.03 a.m. Scully tiptoed into the living room, past the still, quiet form of her partner sprawled on the couch, and checked her computer. Her screensaver had kicked in, scrolling a quote from Moby Dick across her screen. My soul is more than matched. She's overmanned and by a madman. A small, wry smile touched her lips. Yes, indeed. She moved the mouse and the screensaver disappeared, revealing a dialogue box in the middle of the computer screen. Open file? it asked. Scully's stomach coiled with a mixture of excitement and dread. She glanced over her shoulder at Mulder, her expression softening at the sight of his face, boyish in slumber. He hadn't slept much, she knew. She'd awakened briefly around 2 a.m. to find him still up, watching an old James Dean movie with the sound turned way down so as not to disturb her. She sighed, wishing she knew what she was going to do about this exciting, complex man. Why was it so difficult for them to test the boundaries of their relationship? Friends became lovers every day, and many of them found a way to make their relationships work. Her own parents had been friends first. She had heard the story so many times, she knew it by heart. Margaret had been a child and William a teenager when they met. A friend of Margaret's older brother, Patrick, William had been like another brother. Sometimes playing the role of protector, sometimes confidant, sometimes patient playmate but never anything but friends, until the summer Margaret had turned 17. That year, William Scully came back from his final year at the Naval Academy with the news that he had received his first commission and would be leaving for Mobile, Alabama in two weeks. That's when Margaret Cleary had realized she was deeply in love with her best friend. Scully smiled, remembering the chuckle in her mother's voice every time she told the next part of the story. And you know me when I make a decision. Maybe that was the problem, she reflected. She hadn't yet made a decision about Mulder. The situation was just so complicated. Whatever decision she arrived at could have dire consequences. Ignoring her growing feelings for Mulder guaranteed a future of frustration. Could she really continue to work with him indefinitely, having to sublimate her desires? The fact that they'd managed to stay together this long without dealing with their feelings was more a result of the frantic, dangerous nature of their work than of any carefully considered decision on the part of either of them. And what exactly were Mulder's feelings for her? She knew he trusted her implicitly and exclusively, She knew that he found her attractive. Last night's aborted attempt at seduction was hardly the first time she'd been aware of his appreciation for her as a woman. But was Mulder capable of more? Was he able to love her the way she needed to be loved, fully and fearlessly, the way her parents had loved each other? She closed her eyes. Damn it, I can't even take the time to think about this, she realized. 
They had so much to do, so many secrets still to uncover. Secrets that might be revealed with the single click of the computer mouse button. She turned from the computer and crossed quietly to the kitchen to turn on the coffee maker. The soft hissing sound of hot water streaming through the grounds in the filter followed her into the living room. She paused at the edge of the sofa, staring down at Mulder, allowing herself one stolen moment of pleasure at the sight of him. God, he was beautiful. Not just physically, although she found him very attractive. Mulder's beauty came from his fierce, ultimately noble soul. No matter how crazy he made her, no matter how infuriating his reckless disregard for his own safety, no matter how single-minded and driven he could be in his quest for the truth, at his heart, he was a good, decent man who wanted to do the right thing for the right reasons. He was all too rare a creature in this world, and Scully would always love him if for that reason alone. She reached down and gently traced the curve of his cheek. He gave a start, his eyes popping open and his body coiling with tension for a moment until his eyes met hers. Then he visibly relaxed, his eyes softening, his mouth curving in a sheepish smile. Morning, she murmured, stepping back from him. Morning. He sat up slowly, rubbing his eyes with his fingertips and yawning. His hair was spiked in a hundred different directions, and his jaw was blue with stubble. His white t-shirt was rumpled and untucked from his jeans. He stretched his neck, bearing his throat to her in an oddly endearing show of trust. Coffee? Almost ready, she answered. His expression changed in an instant, and he stood, crossing to the computer. The file. I wanted to wait until you woke to open it. She followed him, pulling up a chair next to him as he sat in her desk chair. He closed his hand over the mouse and started to click the button, but she covered his hand with hers, stilling his movement for a moment. He looked up at her, a question in his eyes. I just... She took a breath and started again. I just wanted to tell you that no matter what we find in these files, we're going to be okay. There's nothing in here that can hurt us. His eyes searched hers for a long electric moment. Her breath caught in her lungs, making her head swim. Then he nodded and turned back to the computer. He pressed the mouse button, his finger moving beneath her own. As she moved her hand away, the screen filled with writing. She scooted her chair closer. Dear Fox, the file began. It's a letter, Mulder murmured, from my father. Scully started to stand and move away, but Mulder reached over and grabbed her wrist. Don't go. She looked up at him. I don't want to intrude. There's nothing in here that I would keep secret from you, Scully. He gently tugged her back down to her chair and slid his arm around the back, keeping her close. She settled into the warm curve of his arm and looked back at the message on the screen. For 22 years, I have lived in utter silence with the knowledge of my ultimate damnation, as if by never speaking the words aloud, I would have my sentence commuted in the end. But redemption can never be had without confession. Though redemption may be well beyond my reach, for your sake and my own, 
an attempt must be made. Scully glanced up at Mulder, watching his eyes dart across the page, a look of utter pain twisting his face. She closed her eyes a moment, a sliver of sympathetic anguish piercing her heart. Then she forced herself to look back at the computer screen. Mulder tapped the cursor down key and the screen scrolled to the next section. In this file, I have compiled what information still remains in my possession and my memory. Regrettably, both sources of information have been ravaged by the passing years. And I fear that when all is said and done, there will be truths to which I will neither be able nor willing to confess. But I will try to find the courage that has failed me in the past. Also know, my son, that I have loved you always. Any choices I have made reflect only my own failings, not any failure on your part. You have been a good and dutiful son, far more so than I deserve. The choices you have made in your own life fill me with a deep sense of pride and a deeper sense of shame for my own weaknesses. I wish I had been half the man you have become, Fox. I wish I had shown you and your mother even a fraction of the loyalty and devotion you give to those you love. Every day, I thank God that you have not become your father's son. Scully looked at Mulder again. Tears sparkled on his lower eyelids, and he slowly turned his head as if to meet her gaze. But he couldn't look at her, and he lowered his eyes back to his hands. His mouth worked slowly, silently, perhaps searching for words to express the emotions roiling inside him. Scully shook her head slightly, not needing words to understand. She felt what he was feeling as keenly as if those tortured, guilty words had come from the heart of her own father. Mulder closed his eyes, small tears trickling down the sides of his cheeks. Scully touched her fingertip to the corner of his eye, brushing away the dampness. She didn't try to soothe him with words. Nothing she could say had the power to ease his pain and grief. He took a deep breath a moment later and opened his eyes and found the strength to meet her eyes. Let's see what else is in here. As he lifted his arm away from her, reaching for the mouse, Scully caught his wrist. I think we should try to print the file first. The last time they'd had vital information in their hands, circumstances and treachery had conspired to steal it from them. Scully wanted hard evidence in her hands, something more tangible and substantial than bytes of information on a computer screen. Mulder nodded and clicked the print button. The dialog box popped up with myriad options. He chose to print three copies of the full document. Scully waited in utter silence for the printer to begin the soft mechanical hum that would signify that the document was processing through the system. The wait seemed endless. Then the printer began to hum. Scully released her breath, noting with wry amusement that Mulder's shoulders heaved with relief as well. He sat back, dropping his hand from the mouse. So far, so good. Scully rested her hand briefly on his thigh, gave a little squeeze, then stood and crossed to the printer to check the first pages that emerged from the feeder. The type was clear and readable. The file hadn't re-encrypted upon being sent to the printer the way she'd half feared it might. She gathered the pages, glancing over each sheet as it emerged. 
After the initial letter came an odd assortment of documents, what looked like a passenger manifest, a list of names and corresponding numbers, several pages of graphs that appeared to chart some sort of test. Several pages into the document, a name caught her eye, and her breath faltered and hung in her throat. Oh my God, she thought, scanning the page to see if she could make sense of what she was seeing. She quickly flipped back several pages to the handful of sheets that had looked like a passenger manifest. She quickly scanned the list, noting with frustration that the names were listed in order of the corresponding numbers rather than in alphabetical order. She forced herself to slow her frantic respiration and concentrate, afraid she would overlook the names she sought. Her eyes widened as she found her own name, the notation dated August 19, 1994, just days after Dwayne Barry abducted her. Her suspicions about the list suddenly seemed justified. It was a passenger manifest, she'd be willing to bet. A manifest detailing her passage on a mysterious train where mysterious doctors had performed God only knows what kind of horrible tests on her. She closed her eyes and tamped down the panic. Breathe slowly, Scully. In, out, in, out. She waited for her respiration to slow and her heart rate to subside before she opened her eyes. When she did, she found herself looking into Mulder's worried eyes. Scully? I think it's a list of test subjects. She took the list over to where Mulder sat and showed him her name on the manifest. Flipping pages, she showed him another name that appeared in what seemed to be a summary of a psychological test. Sarah Chandler, Mulder murmured, noting the name. She nodded running her finger down the list of names in the passenger list. Still no Sarah. She went back to the printer and pulled out another handful of pages. The paper was hot against her cool, trembling fingers. She looked through the new pages, noting what looked like another list of test subjects. The dates listed on these pages were much earlier than the dates shown on the previous manifest. The first page began at October 1964. On a hunch, she flipped forward to November 1973, scanning the page for a familiar name, and found one. Just not the one she expected. There was no Samantha Mulder among the test subjects listed under the 1973 headings, but there was a Scully, Melissa Scully. Mulder reread his father's words, studying the sentences and paragraphs as if he could somehow decipher a deeper, more familiar message of disappointment and anger within the structure of the language. He was floored by the enormity of his father's confession. No truth he might find within the confines of this file could be more stunning than his father's admission of love and pride. Had his father ever spoken such words in life? Not that Mulder could remember. Anger, yes. Disapproval, certainly. Embarrassment, definitely. But never affection. Never praise. Even before Samantha's disappearance, Bill Mulder had been a cold, reserved man. He'd drunk too much, slept too little. He'd cut off any attempts to get close to him, hiding behind a wall of disdain and indifference, a wall impenetrable to the woman who longed for her husband's admiration and affection, 
or the boy who only wanted his father's love. Mulder blinked back tears that stung his eyes. Those were feelings Bill Mulder had always seemed to save for his daughter, his golden child. Only Samantha had ever been able to breach the barriers. She'd been that kind of kid, bright, funny, impossible to ignore. Mulder's own feelings for her had always been complex, as resentful and jealous as he'd been of his father's obvious affection for Samantha, he himself had never been able to resist her little girl appeal. When Samantha had disappeared, the fabric of their family had unraveled, frayed, and finally fallen to pieces. Mulder had grown up a virtual orphan, estranged by distance and circumstance from his father, forced by necessity to be both son and parent to his grief-paralyzed mother. Life as a child had ended for Mulder at the age of 12. He'd been forced to grow up early. Except for that one small part of him that would never grow up, that 12-year-old who would always miss his sister and always blame himself for her disappearance. He rubbed his fingertips against his stinging eyes, suddenly drained by the combination of tension, emotion, and lack of sleep. Enervated by the rapid-fire succession of events, he found himself curiously lethargic. So what if the secrets of the universe were contained in this file? He just wanted to lie down and sleep for a week. Mulder? Scully's soft, strangled voice crept through the thick fog of weariness enveloping him. He dropped his hands from his eyes and turned to look at her, his vision slightly blurred. It took a moment for his sight to clear enough for him to see that Scully was deathly pale, her forehead creased, her lips parted and trembling. He pushed to his feet immediately. What is it? Her throat bobbed wildly for a moment, her eyes wide and afraid as she met his gaze. He felt a friction of anxiety ripple through his gut. What, Scully? He closed the distance between them and cupped her elbow, steadying her. She held out the sheaf of papers in her hand. They fluttered in front of him as her hand continued to shake. Then her lips pressed tightly together and she visibly took hold of herself, tamping down the shock and fear. Mulder had seen similar transformations from her before, but as always, her sheer determination left him in awe. Melissa's name is on this list, Mulder. He stared at her for a moment, certain he'd misunderstood. Melissa? She thrust the papers toward him again. He took the small stack of printouts and looked where she indicated. Number 062863, August 18th, 1973, Kingsport, Tennessee, Melissa Scully, DOB 3 slash 4 slash 62, red slash green, 5081 pounds, S-P-E, R-F-L-P, G-M-E, P-S-P-R-O-F, 8 slash 18 slash 73 dash 8 slash 19 slash 73. Mulder frowned. What is this? Scully shook her head. I don't know. He flipped back a few pages, looking for some sort of cover sheet, something to indicate what this notation might mean. But there was nothing but listing after listing of numbers, dates, names, and abbreviations. The last thing before the list began was a short notation from his father. 
We treat innocent citizens with all the respect with which we would treat cattle being led to the slaughter like merchandise, like chattel. He glanced back through the pages, looking for other notes from his father. As he backtracked, he realized that the notes at the beginning had been much more coherent, but his father's thought processes had steadily eroded from page to page. He must have been drinking, Mulder thought. Scully picked up another copy of the listings and grabbed her glasses from the drawer of her desk. She sat in front of the computer and pushed the keyboard out of the way, making room to spread the pages in front of her. Mulder retrieved the other copies of the file from the printer tray and stacked them neatly in order, letting the automatic motions of his hands free his mind to consider the implications of this newest discovery. Melissa, too? How many lives were touched by the far-reaching hand of the consortium, he wondered. William Scully, both of his daughters, who else? The Scully sons? God forbid, Margaret Scully? I think these may be test results, Mulder. Mulder turned towards Scully, unable to meet her eyes. What kind of tests? RFLP stands for Restriction Fragment Length Polymorphism. Basically, it refers to a genetic marker. An RFLP test would provide very specific genetic information, more than you'd get from a more standard polymerase chain reaction test. Mulder nodded. And what about SPE or GME? Scully shrugged. SPE might be standard physical examination. That made sense. PSPROF might be psychological profile. If we're right, maybe each person on this list was given a battery of tests. If we're right, Mulder, and that's a pretty big if. Scully picked up several of the sheets in front of her and flipped through them. Not everyone was subjected to the same procedures either, if we're interpreting this correctly. Mulder sat down next to Scully and looked at the information she indicated with a small tap of her forefinger. Most of the people on this list have SPE and RFLP designations, but only a handful have PSPROF or GME. Mulder glanced over the list, trying to figure out a pattern to the notations. Can we deduce that the date notations on this sheet indicate the amount of time a given test subject was in the hands of his or her abductor? Scully shifted in her chair as if uncomfortable. Mulder, I think it's a bit early to draw any such conclusions. Mulder frowned, inexplicably irritated by that single prim little refutation. Look, Scully, I'm not saying that extraterrestrials were involved, if that's what you're afraid of. I'm not afraid, Mulder. She bristled, her eyes pinning him like a bug under a microscope. I just don't think we can make any broad statements about what these papers mean. I need a lot more evidence. Nothing new, he thought. Scully could be face to face with Marvin the damned Martian and want more proof. What else could they be? They stared at each other, tension buzzing between them. Scully looked away first. I don't know. Her quiet admission dissipated his anger. He put his hand on her shoulder. I don't want to believe that your sister was subjected to God knows what kind of test, Scully. I don't. I know. 
he squeezed her shoulder and let his hand drop to his lap. Any idea what GME stands for? She shook her head. It's not a standard medical acronym. It could stand for any number of things. Mulder glanced over the listings again. He paused at Melissa Scully's name. August 18th, 1973. Does that ring any bells for you? How about Kingsport, Tennessee? Were you living there then? No, in 73, I think we were living in Pensacola. That was the year after we moved there from San Diego. Scully absently threaded her fingers through her hair, pushing the tasseled mass away from her face. I suppose Mom might remember more. Good thing we're planning to talk to her anyway. Scully frowned. I wish I didn't have to tell Mom any of this. So do I. She turned her head to look at him, her gaze direct yet gentle. For a moment, he couldn't breathe. Only when her soft voice broke the thick silence was he able to draw in a chest full of air. Mulder, why don't you go take a shower while I finish getting dressed? We need to at least make an appearance at the office, check in with Skinner. I'll drop by your place to get a suit. He nodded and stood. Okay. He let his hand brush across her shoulder as he stepped past her on his way to the bathroom. He grabbed a duffel bag on the way through and took it into the bathroom with him. Once the door closed behind him, he pulled his cell phone from the pocket of the jacket and dialed a number. Yo, Frohickey, I need some help. Any idea what the notation GME might mean in connection with some sort of medical tests? Sure, the latest in high-tech information gathering, genetic material extraction. Mulder's eyebrows rose. Genetic material extraction? Scully arched her eyebrows. Well, it's not a run-of-the-mill procedure, of course, but it's well within our technological means. Alan Pendrell's voice was thick with sleep, making him sound like a drowsy adolescent. The bigger question, of course, would be why anyone would want to extract genetic material. Any ideas? Well, the most obvious reason would be for comparative testing, sort of carrying RFLP testing a few steps further. What would be the point of such testing? Perhaps to ascertain reproductive compatibility, maybe to clone given organ cells. I suppose, theoretically, cloning technology might one day advance to the point that we can clone whole new organs from somatic cells. We'd never have to worry about finding compatible organ donors. People could have somatic cells extracted from their vital organs and frozen until the time comes when a person needed an organ replaced. The organ could be cloned from the somatic cells and implanted with virtually no worries about rejection. Alan, what you're talking about is science fiction. That technology doesn't exist. It doesn't exist yet, Dana, but 30 years ago, the idea that man would someday walk on the moon was also called science fiction. God, she thought, when did Alan turn into Mulder? But how long have we been capable of genetic material extraction? Officially, since the early 80s, although according to the guys at the gunman, tests were thought to be carried out as early as the late 50s. According to the guys at the gunman? She'd known better than to let Pendra leave with Byers, Langley, and Frohickey. Thanks, Alan. Again, you've been a big help. Are you coming back to work today, D Dana? He still sounded uncomfortable using her first name. 
Mulder and I are going to come by the office briefly, but we have to go talk to a few people about the new case. But if you think of anything else, you have my cell phone number. Yeah. Pendrell sounded absurdly pleased. Thanks, Alan. Mulder and I owe you. She hung up the phone and went into her bedroom to get dressed. She was brushing her hair when the door to the bathroom opened and Mulder emerged, bare to the waist, toweling his hair dry. Scully took advantage of his covered eyes to take a long, appreciative look at his lean body, the long torso and the muscular stomach. She knew from experience that his skin was soft and his muscles hard. No matter how ill-advised the thought, she couldn't help but wonder what it would be like to feel his bare skin against the bare skin of her breasts, her stomach, her thighs. He pulled the towel away from his head and looked up at her. She lifted her eyes quickly to meet his gaze, hoping that the heat she felt washing over her face and neck wasn't quite so apparent to the eye. I think I left my razor at my mother's house. Do you have an extra and shaving lotion? In the cabinet over the sink, she followed him back to the bathroom. He opened the cabinet, rustling around until he found the package of disposable razors and a can of shaving gel. His lips curved at the sight of the pastel can. Lucky I'm in touch with my feminine side. He sniffed cautiously at the top of the can. Hiding a smile, Scully reached into the cabinet for her moisturizing face wash and scooted in next to him at the sink. Mind if we share? He glanced to her. Your sink. She turned on the water, testing its warmth. He mirrored her movements, his hands sliding against hers as he scooped up a handful of water and dampened his stubbled jaw. Scully trembled, suddenly aware of the innate intimacy of what they were doing, sharing the sink in her bathroom. Mulder, half-dressed, still damp from the shower. The mingled sense of soap and his tangy masculine deodorant filled her nostrils, invaded her lungs. She looked up in the mirror and saw his reflection staring back at her. His eyes locked with hers. He leaned over her shoulder and dipped his hands into the stream of warm water again, his fingers slipping over hers like a caress. She tried to draw a breath and found she couldn't. He eased away from her slowly, his touch gliding up her wrist like a whisper. He trailed drops of water up her arm before lifting his wet hand to his face again. She stood, frozen, her hands still under the running water, and watched his reflection squirt a dollop of shaving gel in the palm of his hand. A faint sea scent rose from the gel. Nice, he murmured. He spread the gel across his jaw, his hand rasping softly against his beard stubble. His jaw whitened with foam. Scully swallowed with difficulty and tore her eyes away from the mirror. She squirted moisturizing wash on a soft face cloth and set about the business of cleaning her face and neck. She was not going to look back in the mirror. She was not. She looked back in the mirror. Mulder's eyes met hers in the glass. He ran the razor down his jawline in a long, slow, sure stroke. Great hands, Scully thought. The man could have been a surgeon, long fingers, strong and sure. She trapped her lower lip between her teeth and watched him maneuver the razor over the curve of his chin. 
The blade left a swathe of smooth skin, slightly pink from the rasping of the razor's sharp edge. Her fingers tingled with the overwhelming need to touch his face, to feel the difference between his harsh beard and his satiny smooth skin. Only by the greatest of effort was she able to return her attention to her own task. She finished washing her face and bent over the sink to rinse away the soap. With her eyes averted where Mulder couldn't read her every thought, she could let herself admit that she liked the way she felt. Standing next to his half-naked body, she liked the utter awareness of her femininity, the contrast to his maleness. She liked the intimacy of his nearness, the way the heat of his body washed over her like a caress. It felt natural and phenomenal all at the same time. She could imagine playing out this scene morning after morning for the rest of her life, longed for it even, ached for it. And that scared the hell out of her. She straightened, patting her face dry with a hand towel. When she moved the towel away, she darted another peek at the mirror. Mulder was nearly finished shaving, only the underside of his jaw left untouched. He stretched his neck, baring his throat to her again, and dipped the razor beneath his jaw. He jerked suddenly and hissed a quiet oath. Blood beaded on the skin beneath his jaw. Scully turned and looked up at him, lifting her hand automatically to his wound. Let me... He grabbed her wrist, stopping her. No. She stared at him, startled by the sudden tension in his voice. I was just going to see how much damage you did. He released her wrist. It's a nick. Dr. Scully can take the morning off. He grabbed the towel she just discarded and patted the excess shaving lotion from his face. Moving several feet away from her, his back turned. Scully stared at the reflection of his back in the mirror. What the hell was that about? His shoulders were slightly hunched, his muscles taut. For God's sake, she thought, you'd have thought I was going to strangle him. She closed her eyes, shutting out the sight of him. What was happening to them? Every word, every touch, seemed only to intensify the aching tension between them. Mulder, in particular, seemed unable to take a step forward without taking two steps in retreat. She opened her eyes and stared at his reflection, thinking of a thousand things she should say to him about trust and love and taking risks. But she said none of those things when she finally spoke. Do you want bagels for breakfast or cereal? Mulder turned to look at her. His face relaxed slightly. Got anything loaded with fat and sugar? I'll see what I can come up with, she answered, venturing a slight smile. They were both making an effort to ease the tension between them, she recognized. But it wasn't quite working. She followed him slowly to the kitchen, lagging behind, trying to read his thoughts in the curve of his spine and the set of his shoulders. He was on edge, tightly wound. So was she. And they couldn't go on that way forever. One day soon, they were going to have to figure out what to do about each other. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page 
and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.